Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode one of Transmissible, a public health podcast. I am your host, Jessica Stahl, and I am in my very last semester of graduate school. I am getting an MPH with a concentration in epidemiology. I have also spent most of my career as a contractor for CDC and just really love the public health space. I love infectious diseases and global health and just really deep diving on these pathogens, especially the ones that have kind of unique and unusual historical past to them. And I'm just so excited for episode number one. For this episode, I wanted us to dive into typhus. I knew typhus was interesting. I knew I would um, like researching it. But this was one of those things that the more I researched it, the deeper the dive, the more research I had to do because there's just so much packed into the history of typhus. And I am going to cover a lot of it, but it's impossible for me to cover all of the typhus history and keep this podcast like under an hour. So I hope you enjoy our conversation, but also I highly recommend going to research it yourself because it is just absolutely fascinating. It has just really shaped the world that we live into live in today. And I don't think many people know about it. I think when we think of typhus, we incorrectly think of typhoid. Typhoid fever is very different from typhus. These are two totally different um, diseases. So I um, am just excited to start this journey. This is my first episode. So hang with me with the ums and uh, hopefully the audio sounds okay. I Like I said in my intro episode, I get a couple episodes to be bad at this and then hopefully the skills will start sharpening. So I'm just excited for us to um, go on this learning curve journey together. And I hope you think typhus is just as interesting as I do. Um, kind of a forewarning that nothing I say is um, a medical recommendation. Nothing I say represents um, any of my former employers or CDC, the contracting company, CDC. It also doesn't represent UAB, which is uh, my university. These are just my opinions and me deep diving on the internet and being excited to share it on this new podcast. And this is kind of my little passion project that I should have started much sooner, and um, but there's no time like the present. So just that's my kind of legal warning is that these are just my ideas. And yeah, let's get into it. I um, have my, I have like the drink spread. I have a coffee and a cute fall mug, and then I have my ice water. I made chocolate chip cookies, so I also have a cookie. And I am a new mom, so I also have a baby monitor (laughs) with a baby sleeping upstairs. It is the complete spread. Um, It's just an absolutely beautiful, kind of chilly September day here in Denver. And it's just, I wish you guys could see outside and feel outside. It's just absolutely amazing. We're going to go for a walk later today. And yeah, I am... Kind of wanted to talk a little bit before I get into typhus about my last semester of graduate school. So, you know, I'm getting my MPH, my concentration is epidemiology. So, almost all of my classes for the past like four or five semesters have been purely 
data, biostat, rich classes, you know, epidemiology is in the name of like all of them, um, or like data analysis. And I love it. I love data. I feel like data really um, pulls back the bias that some people have when thinking and talking about public health. And I just love some concrete data. Not to say data can't be manipulated, but I just really love the truths that we can distill out of data. I just am like kind of obsessed with it. And um, one of the projects I have to do this semester is my capstone project. And being a global health infectious disease girly, I was just fully prepared, full steam ahead to do something like that. But I, um, it is September 12th right now. Yesterday was September 11th. And um, obviously that is a very somber day. And I was looking at the health databases um, and there is a just so much data and so much work being done around the health consequences following 9-11 for the responders and the survivors. And I, I just went on this like crazy deep dive with it. And I think I might pivot and do my capstone about the long-term health effects of 9-11. And I'm like really excited. You know, when you like find a topic, whether at work or at school and you get kind of like manic about it, that was what I was looking for. <laughs> and I think I found it. I think that's what this is going to be. And I also hope that it, it can be work that helps people in the future and that can be built upon. And depending on, I guess, depending on how I do and the results of it, um, I might submit it. I don't know. We'll we'll circle back to that. We'll, we're going to do this podcast through this semester, so I'll circle back. But if you have any um, experience with that topic or with those data sets, um, drop me a message. I would love to chat. I am going to make a TikTok associated with this podcast, so send me a message on there. It's I'm should have gotten this nailed down before this first episode, but I think it's going to be transmissible podcast as the handle. Um, so send me a message on there. I would love to love to chit chat about that. But now let's get into typhus. I, like I said, this has just been such an interesting topic. I would like to start it off with a quote. This is from um, infectious, an infectious disease researcher. And I will put all of my citations at the, like in the body of the podcast and um, those will all be linked and cited there. But here is the quote. Epidemic typhus has accompanied disasters that have impacted humanity and has arguably determined the outcome of more wars than have soldiers and generals. So that is quite the impactful quote. That's a crazy claim to say that Typhus excels, not disease, not, you know, fatigue and all this stuff, but typhus specifically has determined the outcome of more wars than soldiers and generals. That's wild. I read that when I first started doing my research and I was like, hmm, interesting. Are they talking about typhoid? Like, I just really kept thinking, like, are you sure it's typhus and not typhoid? And, and nope, it was typhus. So let's deep dive in to typhus and why it has been such a heavy hitter, huge player of just our world history. So first, let's start off with what is typhus? The simple definition of typhus, and I'm going to put a little asterisk by it 
is typhus is a group of infectious diseases caused by the rickettsia bacterium. Now, I don't like that definition, but that is one of the main definitions on the internet if you look for it. The reason I don't like that definition is CDC recently described scrub typhus, which comes from a different, different genus, but we'll get to that in a second. So the three main types are epidemic typhus, also called louse-borne typhus, which is caused by rickettsia prowazakii, and that is the um, type that we will be talking about today. There's also flea-borne or murine typhus. This comes from fleas that are found on rodents, and the bacteria that causes this is rickettsia typhi. And then there's a third new person, <laughs> new player, new guy in town. It's scrub typhus, also known as bush typhus. It is caused by chiggers, larval, larval mites, and it is from the genus Orientia. Orientia. Um, and this one is left off of a lot of web pages because it's just not very well known. It's kind of new, and it's just not one of the big key players, but I think it's important to note that one. Um, it doesn't get quite the recognition it probably should, but maybe it will in the future. So epidemic typhus is caused by rickettsia prowazakii. So what is that? That is an obligate intracellular gram-negative cocobacillus bacteria. It belongs to obviously the genus of rickettsia. And the genus rickettsia is divided into the spotted fever group, SFG, and the typhus group, which TG, and I would love to do an episode on the spotted group, uh, spotted fever group, because I think that would be really interesting. But the spotted fever group has an outer membrane A and B, while the typhus group lacks outer membrane protein. So that's one of the key differences. Rickettsia prowazakii, and I'm like 99% sure I'm saying prowazakii correctly, but um, kind of in lab, I'm notorious for pronouncing these wrong, and I like to blame my dyslexia, but I also just am bad at it. So I think it's Rickettsia prowazakii, but if it is incorrect, just bear with me there, but I don't think it is. Um, it multiplies in the gut epithelium of the body louse and explodes into the, just, uh, the GI tract, eventually causing the body louse to die in this process. In this regard, Rickettsia prowazakii is unique because no other known member of Rickettsia kills their vector. And this one does. It also remains viable in the dead louse as well as in the louse feces. And now this is really interesting because louse feces is super, super dry. It is 2% water. So that means it's like essentially a really fine powder. Now for comparison, Human feces is about 70% water. So this is a very, very dry feces. And as you can imagine, that helps this bacteria spread far and wide because it is just like a little sprinkling of powdered sugar, kind of how I mentally picture it, except it's deadly uh, powdered sugar. Now what happens when... Um... Actually, let's go back. So going back to the louse feces and the dead louse. So one of the reasons why typhus has been such a heavy player is that it thrives in colder, not always, it doesn't have to be cold, but predominantly cold, 
packed in conditions where you have a bunch of people who are packed in and they are wearing clothing or layers of clothing for a long time without washing them. Now, as you can imagine, if you're in, let's say, an army camp or a jail or um, some type of facility, like orphanages, it used to happen in orphanages, where you're packed in and you're wearing clothing that is dirty, that is not getting properly disinfected and washed, Basically what happens is these lice lay their eggs within the folds of the clothing and they multiply. And so in addition to having to, you know, get the lice off your body and off of your clothes, there's also these eggs. So you have to kill the eggs. It becomes this whole thing. I was reading about it. You have to like boil your clothing, but okay, say you're on a ship. You know, this used to happen on ships. Say you're on, you know, in a camp boiling everyone's clothing in the proper order so you're not just having these lice jump from clothing to clothing. It's just an absolute mess um, and very difficult. And so that's one of the reasons why it favored um, poor, poor in the socioeconomic sense, but also poor hygiene, packed in cold weather because you're wearing those cloth- pieces of clothing so much. Um, and um, again, this is the body louse and not the head louse. Those are different. That was another thing that I learned through all this is the debate. I learned about the debate between that. So there's the head louse and the body louse. And then for a while, they thought that they were different species. And I was like, well, or like different subspecies. And then they thought, and I think this is the common knowledge, is that they're the same species slash maybe it's the same subspecies, I can't remember, but they are just expressing um, the, I can't remember what it's called, it's called phenotypically like slightly different in terms of how they feed and how they lay their eggs, but they're actually the same. I don't know. I listened to a whole podcast on this (laughs) and um, the two people on the podcast had different opinions. So that's kind of in the weeds. But just know that there is a um, debate with strong, strong emotions there. So anyways, what happens when you are in these conditions? You have these lice with rickettsia, prowazakii. It's in their body. It's in their feces. So what happens after you get sick? So symptoms of epidemic typhus usually begin within two weeks after contact with infected body lice. The signs and symptoms include fever and chills, headache, rapid breathing, body and muscle aches, rash, cough, nausea, vomiting, and confusion. Um, A side note about the rash is that it used to be um, thought that typhus always had a rash with it. Now they're saying you don't have to have a rash with it for it to be typhus. An interesting thing about the rash itself is it's not specific. So it's not this, you know, classic typhus rash that you can just spot and know it's typhic. Typhus, it it looks different on different people. It's different patterns, different types. So it's not a very specific rash. Nowadays, severe illness is rare um, and most people recover from it. But that is because we have, you know, thanks to modern medicine, we have doxycycline, we have, you know, supportive measures. And um, back in the day, the mortality rate was any like pre- <laughs> 20th century, or I guess I should say like after 
World War II, um, sorry, pre-World War II, the mortality rate was 10 to 40%. But in some of these outbreaks, in the really rough conditions, it got up to 60% mortality rate. Nowadays, they throw you on doxycycline and you should be fine. Um, but just quite a big difference in today and yesteryear and, you know, thanks for modern medicine. All right. So that's kind of what it is, what it looks like, you know, the conditions that it thrives in. So now I want to talk about the historical significance of typhus. So like we said earlier, our quote, let's say it one more time, epidemic typhus has accompanied disasters that have impacted humanity and has arguably determined the outcome of more wars than have soldiers and generals. Um, it's just kind of wild that that's true. So join me back to the 1500s and there was a huge outbreak in England between 1577 and 1579. This outbreak came from the jails. And so I think this is very interesting. Typhus, like we talked about earlier, you know, it it thrives in packed in poor hygiene, poor hygienic conditions. And a nine or a 1500s jail is just, I can't think of a better example of that. So basically what would happen is typhus would be just flowing in these jails. And if you got arrested and you were waiting for your trial, so you could have been innocent, it was still considered in some parts of England a death sentence because you, or a potential death sentence, because you were thrown into these jails and you could get typhus while waiting for your judge to see your judge, you know, for your day in court. And, you know, you had up to a 40% chance of dying. And you could be innocent. So it was very scary to get thrown in jail. What would happen is these, um, exactly the scenario I just said, is they would get thrown in jail. It would be their day in court. And then not only would they have typhus, but they would bring typhus to the court. And in the late 1500s, this happened. Um, it, let me get these facts straight. This outbreak happened in the jail. It goes to court. The Speaker Rob Bell and Lord Chief Baron of the Executor, Exeter, I'm guessing that may be a fancy word for executor, but I don't think he would be like in just the casual courtroom. Um, might need to circle back. Next episode, I'll give you a little clarification on who Lord Chief Baron was. But basically, they get sick and die from typhus and the outbreak that follows that, so it came out of the jail, into the courtroom, and into England, kills 10% of the English population between 1577 and 1578, which is just wild to me. They called it jail fever or gal fever, um, and they just blamed it on hundreds of prisoners and, quote, huddled together in dark, filthy rooms. And this just happened. The jails were, um, you know, just infested with disease. So I thought that was kind of a crazy story. Join me mentally. Now we're in the um, early 1800s. I think this is one of the more famous stories of typhus. You have Napoleon. Um, you know, I think we all know who Napoleon is. He is a you know French commander for the 
revolutionary armies, the grand army, but army is not army, it's A-M-A-R-M-E-E, you know, we're, we're in our French era right now, and he is marching 600,000 troops to Moscow. Ultimately, we'll get into the nitty-gritty details of it. It's a fascinating story if you want to deep dive on it, but he's marching over half a million troops to Moscow. He wants to take Moscow. You know, this is the Russian campaign. And ultimately, his army gets absolutely decimated. There is um, a famous quote that it is not the Russian general that defeats Napoleon, but General Frost, Frost, you know, being like cold, cold Frost, that destroyed the French army. And then Madame Juno, the wife of General Juno, corrects it and she makes uh, a memoir and she said, to paint the picture completely, we should also add the name of General Typhus and General Napoleon himself. So basically they said, you know, the conditions killed this huge army and she was saying it wasn't just the cold, it was also Napoleon making poor decisions and typhus. And so they think the numbers are a little bit different on different sources, but it is estimated that 400,000, you know, so most of the soldiers died from illness, exposure, or battlefield injuries. And as many as 220 died solely from disease. And it is thought that typhus was the main disease that was killing um, Napoleon's army. It is reported that, you know, he comes back and I think there was only 3,000, I think it was 3,000 men that came back and then a thousand of them, only a thousand of them were able to even go back to being soldiers. So absolutely just a disaster on so many fronts. And Typhus was one of the main players of that. Going forward a little bit longer or a little bit further to the mid 1800s, Typhus rears its ugly head during the Great Potato Famine. Um, I think now we're calling it the Great Famine. You also might know it as like the Irish Famine. There's kind of a bunch of different words that we use kind of in um, pop culture, so to speak. But basically, there's a huge epidemic typhus outbreak during the Irish immigration from Ireland to the east coast of the United States and Canada. Because they are packed in these crowded, disease-ridden ships, they start calling them coffin ships. And an outbreak, there's two outbreaks I want to highlight. One happens in New York City um, in 1847. It is estimated that 80% of the cases were contracted during the Atlantic crossing on the ship, and then 20% of the cases resulted or were resulting from secondary spread within the city. 147 cases were treated at New York Hospital over a seven-week period, and the mortality rate was only 11%. So, you know, we see in some of these other outbreaks, it's up to 40%. These ones happening in New York City being treated at New York Hospital is 11%. I don't want to put words in the in history's mouth, but I'm wondering if New York Hospital was one of the better hospitals um, of that time period, and maybe they had a little bit more um, cutting-edge technology for the time and maybe just slightly more comfortable conditions. But I don't know. That's a... 
that's a hypothesis. In Canada, around um, exact same time period from 1847 to 1848, 20,000 people died. And this is when we are seeing fever sheds in Gross Isle, Montreal, Kingston, Toronto, and St. John. I think I'm pronouncing Gross Isle wrong. I'm sorry. My Canadian friends, I um, should have looked that up before. But 20,000 people die. They're putting them into these fever sheds. And what fever sheds are is these are basically mini quarantine houses with bunk beds inside of them. And there's a lot of um, like first-person accounts of these. They were not getting bread. They were getting broth and tea twice a day. They were running out of water. There are, you know, reports of priests and um, like chaplains and pastors coming to visit the people who were dying and bringing them food and water. And then they themselves were getting typhus and um, just a really sad and uncomfortable time period. And I just can't imagine being in one of those bunk beds with the symptoms that we talked about earlier. And just like, what an awful, what an awful experience. Um, kind of hitting these historical <laughs> moments and bullet points. So I uh, hope that doesn't feel insensitive. So we're going ahead, you know, maybe about 50 years. Well, a little more than 50 years. We're going to um, World War I, basically. So on the eastern front of World War I, there's intense shelling of Serbian cities. They are being destroyed. They're being hit hard. The population, because the infrastructure is breaking down, are being driven to the streets. So they're coming out to the streets. And in November of 1914, typhus kind of makes its first appearance among um, prisoners and refugees, and then it gets spread to the troops. So one year after um, this outbreak starts, so, you know, in 1915, Typhus has killed 150,000 people. 50,000 of those were prisoners from Serbia. And get this, this is one of the craziest statistics, I think, of this entire episode. One third of Serbia's doctors die from typhus alone during this time period. And it is reported that the mortality rate reached an epidemic peak, you know, because in New York, it was like 10%. We have seen 40% other places, but just, I think the conditions and the war and just the state of the environment of that time period it brings the mortality rate to 60 to 70%. And so that is something that we see with a lot of diseases is that, you know, the external conditions really impact the mortality rate and something that would have a lower mortality rate in other circumstances in something, especially like a war, it, you know, it, it reaches a peak. Alternatively, on the Western front, they are getting hit with Bartonella. And um, we know this disease known as trench fever. They're getting hit with trench fever. And we'll maybe do a different podcast about that because I don't want to um, diverge from typhus. But basically you have the Eastern Front and the Western Front and they're both getting hit with 
disease. Disease really accompanies war and famine and natural disasters. It is just something, I think that's one of the things that I find so interesting about infectious diseases is that it's something that sometimes, like I remember this during COVID, it's it's sometimes not at the forefront of our mind. You know, if you're in the middle of a war and someone is shooting at you or they're, you know, there's shelling going on, you're not necessarily thinking like, oh, you know, I need to be thinking about hygiene right now or something like that. But these diseases and afflictions just really get paired with horrible um, events that happen. And we hear about that, like with hurricanes and flooding and um, famine is that, you know, you get the first wave, then you kind of get a second wave. And sometimes that second wave is disease. And that's exactly what was happening now or here. Um, on the Russian side of things, throughout the last two years of the conflict and during the Bolshevik Revolution, approximately 2.5 million deaths were recorded. And it is believed that these deaths came from typhus itself. The mortality rate rose from 0.13 per 1,000 in peacetime to 2.33 per 1,000. Um, in 1915, it is stated that Lenin, you know, if you know the Bolshevik Revolution, Vladimir Lenin declares that either the Laos will defeat socialism or socialism will defeat the lice. So that just shows how <laughs> scary the lice, the Laos were, and um, just that they carried so much disease. Now, some um, good news in the world of typhus. In the early 1900s, French physician and microbiologist Charles Nicole discovered the mode of transmission for epidemic typhus. And then in 1916, Brazilian physician Henrique de Roca Lima established that the disease was caused by a bacterium he named Rickettsia prowazakii. And that name honors the legacy of American pathologist Howard T. Ricketts and Czech bacteriologist Stanislaus uh, Josef Matthias von Prowazak, um, Lima's colleague. So he worked with um, Dr. Henrique, both of whom, both, uh, sorry, I'm getting frumbled, um, both the American pathologist. Ricketts and Czech bacteriologist um, Prowzak worked with Lima, and um, both of them contracted typhus and died during their research, so they named it after those two guys. Science, as it does, is advancing alongside of the dis- destructive path that typhus is paving. We go into World War II. Typhus plays a absolute huge role in World War II. It is um, heartbreakingly and unfortunately very prevalent in the um, concentration camps, similar to what we talked about earlier. When you have a lot of people and poor conditions, it thrives. So typhus is, you know, in these camps. Uh, I actually don't have the mortality rate for that. 
the Nazis become very afraid of it and they are trying to get the scientists to produce a vaccine. And I'm going to link the story because it's an incredible story. But basically, there are Jewish scientists that really do some amazing work during this time period. They're hiding some of it from the Nazis. They create a vaccine and they are sending the real vaccine to the concentration camps to protect the victims in the concentration camps. And they're sending fake vaccines to the front lines for the Nazi soldiers. It is a fascinating story. There's a Politico, um, a really good Politico article that I'm going to link. I totally think you should read about it. It's really interesting. I had never heard of it. Um, and the title is How a Jewish Doctor Duped the Nazis, the Astonishing Untold Story of the Buchenwald Vaccine Scam. And so highly, highly recommend it. That article is by Arthur Allen. It came out in 2014. Um, but it played a very large role in World War II. It is thought that that is um, ultimately how Anne Frank and her sister Margaret died. And, you know, that was another thing I had never heard of. So there's just so much around typhus, heartbreaking history that just really impacted where we are today. It's interesting that, you know, nowadays we don't hear as much about it. The reason I wanted to do this episode was because I saw it in the news um, that someone had recently contracted it and had to have some amputations. And I was like, oh, like I remember typhus a little bit, but I would love to know more about it. And just the more I kept researching it, just the deeper and the wider that the history got, um, but just has such a destruction, a path of destruction through history. And I just, my heart just breaks as with all these diseases that we learn about, my heart just breaks for those. I can just picture lying in bed, being so sick and so scared and in the conditions that made that thrive in the first place. And it's just... It's just heartbreaking, and I think stories about outbreaks like this are what fuel the public health community and the public health professionals into, you know, loving what we do and really wanting to help. And it's because you hear stories like this and you think, ah, you know, if we just could have, you know, intercepted here, intercepted here, then, you know, fewer people would have died. And um, it was just a very interesting deep dive. Outbreaks of epidemic typhus do still occur. They happen mostly in the Andes region of South America and some parts of Africa, but it's it's not very common in the United States. Every once in a while, there is a case. Um, our reservoir here is is the flying squirrel. So if you see a flying squirrel, like maybe don't touch it. But it it's just something that we don't see. But they think typhus might start to um, kind of reemerge as being something that is seen more as, you know, wars happen, you know, the Ukrainian war, Ukrainian-Russian war, you know, it's thought that, you know, world events like that or, you know, natural disasters, they are breeding grounds for um, pathogens and diseases like typhus. So it is something that is not quite on everyone's radar right now, but, you know, you never know. Like we talked about earlier, 
the um, kind of preventative measures and the treatment for it, the preventative measures are, you know, not having people packed in, having good hygienic conditions, clean clothing, lice control, that kind of thing. And the treatment is um, 100 milligrams by mouth twice daily of doxycycline until, you know, you haven't had a fever for one to two days. But again, this is not a medical, this, I am not your doctor. I am just some girl with a podcast with a headset and my laptop hiding in an office trying not to wake up my sleeping infant talking about diseases. So please talk to your doctor about your medical um, things. And yeah, that's typhus. I enjoyed talking about it. I enjoyed researching it. This is my first episode, my first full episode, so it's probably a little shaky, but thank you so much for um, listening and joining me with this. I am just going to jump on here and do more, so hit follow or I use Spotify. I know Apple Podcasts is really popular, but I think those are like the main two that people are using. But if you follow along, like if you click follow, then you get a notification when another episode goes live. Like I said, I'm going to try to make a TikTok. Not try, I'm going to. I'm going to probably do that this afternoon. And, you know, shoot me a message on there. If you want to come on the pod, if you want to chit chat, if you want to be interviewed, I'm totally game. I do plan to have my husband on. He's a medical doctor and just kind of a research guru. So I'll probably have him on. I would love to have some of my former colleagues on and maybe a professor or two. I like to think via email, I'm like fairly convincing. So I think I can get a professor or two on here. Um, I might wait until I've done a couple episodes. So I'm not quite as uh, (laughs) new at this and don't say um every other word. But um, yeah, if you want to come on, let me know, shoot me a message. And I think this is fun. I think this is going to be kind of my passion project and just a really casual place to talk about diseases. And, um, this is kind of a format I would love to do kind of some chit chatting before getting to it, talk about the, you know, the bacterial side of it, or I'm sure in a lot of cases, the viral side of it, maybe, maybe a little fungus here and there, and then talk about, um, you know, the history of it and kind of where it is now with typhus, you know, kind of where it is now is less of a beefy topic, but I'm sure with some of these other ones, you know, where it is now is going to be, you know like COVID. So going to be a big, big part of it. So yeah, now I'm just rambling, but thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for joining me. And, um, just know this is fun for me. And anytime you listen or review or follow, it is, uh, it's just really fun being on the side of that. And it's building a public health infectious disease community and I just love online communities and I think this is going to be a fun one. So hope everyone has a great day and I'll see you next time. Bye guys.